Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. I was in Rome, Italy a couple weeks ago when I heard about the latest school shooting in Colorado. As you know by now, two shooters entered the Highlands Ranch STEM school and killed one senior and eight other students were injured. The two shooters are now in custody. This makes for the fourth notable shooting in Colorado. A few years ago, there was a shooting at Arapahoe High School, which is actually where my husband went to school. Two people were killed before the shooter killed himself. And then in 2012, of course, there was the Aurora Movie Theater shooting where 12 people were killed and 70 were injured. And then the infamous 1999 Columbine shooting. Two shooters came in and killed 12 students and one teacher, and another 21 students were injured before the pair committed suicide. We have personal connections to each of these shootings. They are not far off and remote. They happen in my very own community, and we have friends and acquaintances who were present at all four. So when I heard of this fourth school shooting, this fourth notable shooting, I was horrified and saddened and immediately started to think about all of the friends who might be affected. Like you, my heart cried out, what is going on in this world? Like you, I was rocked, and like you, I'm clamoring for answers whether it's been in person or on social media or in churches or at town hall events, we're all looking at one another and asking, how can we make this stop? And that's really the topic of this episode of All Things. How does the Christian parent or the Christian mom respond to school shootings? How can we make it better? So we're going to look at some of the obvious approaches that are being discussed in society at large, and we'll culminate with asking, how should we apply a biblical worldview to this specific horror. Well, of course, one thing many people are talking about and suggesting is that we increase gun control. As I looked into Colorado gun laws, I was interested to read in the LA Times this specific quote. Since the 2012 Aurora shooting, Colorado has enacted some of the strictest gun laws in the country, including universal background checks and limits on ammunition magazines. This year, Colorado joined several states in passing a red flag gun law that allows a family member or law enforcement to petition a court to temporarily remove someone's firearm arms for up to a year. So already Colorado has some of the strictest gun laws in the nation. Not only that, but guns are plentiful in this nation. There are estimates that there are 270 million firearms or maybe as many as 310 million firearms in the United States. That means there's almost one gun for every man, woman, and child in this country. Not only are guns plentiful, but they are durable. These are weapons that are built to last. So gun, there are a lot of guns and they are here to stay. Of course, parents would be wise and I hope hope that all gun owners, at least in my community, have gun safes and lock them up so that their children or other children don't have any access to them. But increasing gun control does not seem like a viable option, at least here in Colorado, as it's already very strict. Something else people are talking about, of course, my knee-jerk reaction was along these lines, and it is that there should be more school security. Why don't we have a metal detector at every school? They're in every airport. Aren't our schools just as important? Well, as I started to research and look into that option, I came to realize that metal detectors are only good if the school has a secure perimeter. In other words, there has to be only one way in and one way out of a school for a metal detector to be useful. But think of every school. There's windows. There's multiple doors. There's multiple sports practices and theater performances and coaches and families, parental meetings. People are coming and going from schools all the time, and they're coming and going from multiple doors. So a metal detector is only going to work if there's only one entry and the whole perimeter is secure. That doesn't seem very plausible in most of our schools. Not only that, but of course, this equipment is expensive, and the personnel to staff it is expensive. And if it breaks, then what? Do we have to cancel school for the day? Not only that, but what about the psychological impact of the presence of a metal detector and extra armed forces at school doors. 
So increasing school security, at least in the form of metal detectors, does not seem like a real plausible solution. Another thing people are talking about is, well, how can we be equipped to identify school shooters before they strike? How can we equip parents, community members, teachers to know what who a shooter might be? Well, most research shows that most shooters, not all certainly, but most, are suffering from some kind of mental health issue, and they are also people who feel marginalized. So those tend to be the two strongest indicators. Of course, when it comes to mental health, mental health issues do not cause school shootings. Only a tiny, tiny percentage of kids with psychological issues end up becoming school shooters. Mental health problems are a risk factor, though, because they can decrease someone's ability to cope with other stresses. Many kids, many kids who become school shooters, certainly not all, but many have experienced a childhood trauma, such as physical or emotional abuse, or maybe unstable families, violent, absent, alcoholic parents, or siblings. Most have experienced significant loss. But it's important to note here that some school shooters come from totally stable, healthy backgrounds and have suffered no mental health issues. So this is not a certain indicator. Now, many school shooters do feel marginalized. These are marginalized kids who don't necessarily have adult connections in the community. No one's really watching out for them. No one's wondering how they're doing, where they're going, what they're doing, um, where they're headed in life. These are kids who feel like they've lost social status. They're kids who feel humiliated. They feel like they're outcasts. They feel rejected and they're angry and they tend to look at the school population and the popular kids and the in kids as the ones to blame. So these marginalized kids might fantasize about belonging to a bigger group, to having a greater identity, to sort of leaving a legacy, making an impact because they don't feel like they're making one here and now. So this is where the, the contagion concern comes in. There is evidence that school shootings are in fact contagious, that shooters want to mimic other shooters and they're spurred on by seeing how others have done it first. This definitely makes sense for my context here in Colorado, where four notable shootings have happened in very close proximity to one another in the last 20 years. Research shows that a majority of shooters since the Columbine shooting have wanted to be like the Columbine shooters. They've wanted to join the ranks of those who've made a lasting impact by murdering their schoolmates. So it's this desire of joining a movement, joining a group, not necessarily that the shooters want to be just like the Columbine shooters, but that they want to leave something lasting. They want to make a mark. So I just want to point out a parenthetical statement right here. Doesn't this just speak to the biblical worldview? The biblical worldview answers this situation well. We know from scripture, we were created on purpose for a purpose. We have a creator who has written us into his story. He has designed you and me to play a specific part in the biggest story, an eternal story. And he made us unique that we might play a unique role. When a biblical worldview is lacking, when people don't know what they're here for, who created them, what on earth is going on, why on earth they live, when they don't know that they were created on purpose for a purpose, then any number of movements might be joined to bring meaning. So we've looked at increasing gun control, we've looked at increasing school security, and then we've looked at trying to identify school shooters, and none of these feel like super satisfying as possible solutions. Well, here's one solution that's proposed by Dr. Stephen Levitt, who is co-author with Stephen Dubner of the highly acclaimed Freakonomics series and podcast. He's also an award-winning economist, and his specialty is crime. Dr. Levitt's recommendation for ending school shootings is, in a word, empathy. Empathy. 
He says, as a society, we must indoctrinate people into more empathy. So as one article I read put it, when Levitt recommends empathy, he isn't asking if you've hugged a mass murderer today. He's making a deliberate calculation, drawing a line between an act of horror and the deep-seated needs that drive human behavior, needs like connection, acceptance, or significance. Levitt is stating that as a society, as a people, we need to express more empathy, more compassion for one another, be better connected in deeper relationships so that every child Every teen, every adult knows he or she is loved by someone, matters to someone, is connected to someone, and something important. But this would be a massive societal overhaul, wouldn't it? One in which every life would have to be considered invaluable and worthwhile and worthy of celebrating. To grow empathy across our entire nation, across ethnicities, socioeconomic levels, states, cities, genders, religions, political parties, the list goes on. I really can't imagine how we would do that. But one thing I do know, here in Colorado, we are not very good at valuing life. Here in Colorado, for years, it has been legal to abort a baby up to 40 weeks. And now it's legal if a baby is born who is unwanted for a doctor not to administer um, any help to that baby and to allow that baby to even die after it's born. And of course, here in Colorado, it's also legal. Assisted suicide is legal. So those who are suffering, those who have a terminal illness, are allowed to snuff out their own lives. So lives on the margin here in Colorado, we don't really value them. And I'm sure that in that STEM school where our latest shooting happened, as in all schools across the country, it is taught and was taught that life is the result of chance. We're just here. We've evolved over time and through mutation. Life is the result of chance, not the result of a designer. There is no God. There is no purpose. There is no one to whom we are really accountable. So I agree 100% with Levitt. Empathy is key, and we've got to start teaching it and passing it on to one another. But in Colorado, we've got to start with those who are the most marginalized. We've got to start with those who are the most vulnerable, and those are those who are on both ends of the spectrum of life, the preborn and those who are near death. What if we started providing services and encouragement and support to mothers who are pregnant and in crisis, to those who are sick, to those who are terminal, to those who are impoverished? Or let's start in the classroom and leave room for the possibility that life is created on purpose for a purpose, that there's more to this life than chance and mutation, that we are here for a reason. It's impossible to teach students to value life if we first teach them that they're just here by chance and not by design. So yes, with Dr. Levitt, I say let's teach empathy, but let's teach it consistently. Kids know hypocrisy when they see it. We can't tell them that their lives are invaluable while at the same time casting votes in favor of abortion and assisted suicide. It's just, hypo- it's just hypocrisy. It doesn't make sense. I want to close with three final thoughts on approaching the horror of school shootings through a Christian lens, okay? Three final thoughts. First, is we are all tempted to fear. We all want to keep our children safe. I've heard of parents looking for bulletproof backpacks to respond to school shootings. But the truth is, you and I cannot take every measure to keep our kids 100% safe. We just cannot predict the future. Here's something I learned from a Washington Post article that I'm going to link in the show notes. Just some facts that help bring some perspective. 50 million children attend public schools in the nation, 50 million, for roughly 180 days per year. Since Columbine, approximately 200 public school students have been shot to death while school was in session. That means the the statistical likelihood of any given public school student being killed by a gun in school on any given day since 1999 was roughly 1 in 614 billion. And since the 1990s, school shootings have actually been becoming less and less common. 
So the negative news cycle is constantly just beating this drum that makes you and I more fearful. Let's listen to the news more carefully. Let's turn back to statistics and know what is true. Let's maybe not listen to the news so much. Let's guard our emotions and not be manipulated by ratings, hungry news sources. And secondly, on fear, as Christian parents, we just have to develop a solid theology of what if. We have to decide now. We have to know now, be familiar now with the truth about our God in heaven. Who is he? What is he like? What is his character? And apply what we know to be true. We've got to be ready with an even if theology, even if the worst happens. We already know the goodness and the sovereignty and the kindness and the mercy of our God, and we know he will see us through even if. Second, in approaching school shootings through a Christian lens, we must remember the cross. We do live in a fallen world. There is indeed grave evil, and we mourn its right to grieve. This most recent shooting is cause for great grief. This world is dark, but, but Jesus Christ defeated evil, sin, death, and the devil on the cross. Christ's victory was fully and finally declared by the Father when he raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is the ground of our hope and the assurance of his victory over all powers and principalities. One day, innocence will be avenged. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The evil acts of school shooters will be dealt with. The perfect love of God requires that he is also judge and he will judge the wicked. Make no mistake, God himself will have the last word. And finally, friends, I'll close with this. In the face of school shootings, what ought a Christian do? Well, I think it's simply this. You and I've got to love God and love neighbor. We must draw near to the Lord and know who he is, be familiar with his mercy and his power and his grand story of which we are a part. And then, propelled by our knowledge of the Lord, by our love for him, by his love for us, we must go love our neighbors. We must literally invite them in. Look for the marginalized. Look for the hurting. Where can you and I exercise empathy? We must not hide and run and shelter our children. We don't have to solve the whole neighborhood's problems or the problems of the entire school, but what can you do? What can I do? Who can I help? Who can I introduce to Christ? Who can I offer help and hope to? After all, Christ is our one and only hope and the one and only hope for this whole world. So as you and I clamor for answers to the horror of school shootings, let's clamor for Christ. He will help us. Thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. 